I want to lead us into a time of worship in the Word. I want to turn your attention in the Word of the Lord to Psalm 15. Psalm 15. As you're turning there, uh, I, I want to say that the Psalms teach us so much about life. There's a psalm for almost every chapter and every, every season of life. And many of the psalms are applicable to every season of life. This is one of those psalms, Psalm 15. Psalm 47 tells us that we can praise the Lord with understanding. And that when we praise the Lord and we worship with understanding, it makes us a better worshiper. What that means is when we have an understanding, a revelation of who God is, it makes us a better worshiper, makes us a better human being because we are connected to our creator and we have an understanding of the one that we're directing our worship to and it just, it, it improves everything. And that understanding, that revelation we know comes from God. It's not something that we have the brain power to just figure out and, and, and work out on our own, but sooner or later you have to gain a revelation of who Jesus is, that he's the mighty God in Christ. God in human flesh and that he's your savior and that it's by his blood that your sins can be forgiven. When you gain that kind of a revelation, it changes everything about your worship, changes everything about your life. It can only come from God. Psalm 15 is a psalm that's a lot like that. And it doesn't talk about so much as our, our, our understanding and our revelation, but it talks more about our character and how when we're able to become a good person in the sight of God. When we're able to live righteously, it makes us a better worshiper, and it puts us into the presence of God. Amen? Psalm 15 is a psalm of David, and it says this, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury or interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. It's that last sentence that really captured my attention this week as I was with the Lord. I want to read one other scripture to you in your hearing this morning before you're seated. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In him. Brother Burke ministered about a month ago about wanting to be a worshiper. I want to be a worshiper. I want to be a worshiper but Brother Berg, I want to be an exceptional worshiper. I want to be the best worshiper. I'm not satisfied with mediocre worship. I'm not satisfied with living for God at the minimum. But I want to be an exceptional worshiper. I want to be a person of great faith. I want to be pleasing to the Lord in everything that I do. And I know you feel that way. You may be seated. This psalm that we just read, Psalm 15, it has testing power. My message is more about that final line of the song, but all the lines in the middle matter when you get to that end part where it says, he who does these things will never fall. I want to talk this morning about when good people worship, when good people worship. 
None of these things that are in Psalm 15 that are listed between verse 1 and the final verse are passive things. We just read them together. They're all things that happen on purpose. They're all things that we have to make efforts to make sure that they're a part of our life. They're not things that just happen passively, but they're things that happen when a person says, I'm going to actively pursue the things of God and be pleasing to the Lord in every area of my life. These things that the psalm lists are our highest ideals as Christians. They're the things that we reach for. They're the things we strive for. We don't always reach them, but they're the standards that we have for ourselves. Amen? The Lord said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, He says, You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's a pretty high standard, Brother Walker. To be perfect, to be all the way complete in all of these things. I don't know anybody in the room this morning that has reached that summit of godliness yet but it's the standard that God's word sets for us because the psalmist David wrote it came from a place of wanting to be in the presence of God David said I want to be near to God he said I don't just want to visit God but I want to dwell with God I want to be with him forever amen like the song we just sang a moment ago I want to worship you not just on Sunday morning but I want to worship you forever That's the heartbeat of the psalmist, and that's the heartbeat of this song that he wrote. Lord, I don't want to just be on visiting terms with you, but Lord, I want to dwell with you forever. I want to walk with you. I want you to be with me when I'm at my workplace. I want you to be with me when I'm at my home. I want you to be with me when I'm driving to one place to the other. Everywhere I go and everything that I do, God, I want to be in your presence. I want to be pleasing to you. And when we have that kind of an approach to life, It bears the reason that we don't want it just to end with this life. But I want to spend eternity with God forever. I want to worship Him in eternity forever. This is one of those songs in the Old Testament that history tells us. The Israelites, as they would go up to Jerusalem to worship. Jerusalem had a temple in it. And the temple was built built on a mountain. And they would go come from all over the land, Brother Larmy. And they would come and make pilgrimages to Jerusalem so that they could worship at the temple. And as they would travel... And as they would march and they would go in individuals or small groups or families or even maybe entire villages would go up to Jerusalem to worship. History tells us that this is one of those songs that they would sing together and they would almost sing it back and forth to one another, Brother Ryan. And we'd be going to Jerusalem to worship and I would start off the song and say, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can dwell with the Lord? And then someone else in my party would respond to me and say, he that has clean hands, he that's living, pleasing to God. And we would go through this list and we'd sing back and forth. And it would be a reminder that it's not enough just to know who God is. But it's about how we live that makes us acceptable to worship Him. And even to spend eternity with Him in the future. It's not just our level of revelation that matters. But it's our character that matters to God. God is saying, I want a people that are righteous. That will worship me in spirit and in truth. God is looking for people who have sanctified him in their hearts, who are living blameless before him. And nobody that's serious about living for God, and there's an entire room today of people that are serious about living for God, 
There's no one that's serious about the things of God and about living for God that would ever violate one of the commandments of God on purpose. But sometimes throughout life, we do violate God's commandment. And we do fall short and we do miss the mark. The psalm starts with two questions. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? And the psalm goes on to say those who are sincere, those who are righteous, those who are honest, those who don't slander other people, those who uh, don't reproach others, those who are able to distinguish and discern between good and evil, between wrong and right, those who keep their promises and make good on their word, those who don't treat others poorly. These are the people that offer acceptable worship to God. And if you want to participate in what God is doing, the standard is still the same today. We have to be reaching, brothers and sisters. We have to be striving to be a light in this dark world. Because as much as I believe in the miraculous power of God, and as much as I yearn for the supernatural move of the Holy Ghost, where there's miracles and signs and wonders, I'm here to tell you on a Sunday morning that character wins every time. The fruit of the Spirit win every time. I don't have much for somebody that is able to operate in gifts of the Spirit, but don't have any evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. We have to talk about Christian character in a world that's going sideways and up and down, and they don't have any kind of point of reference for their morality or their way of living anymore. Brothers and sisters, we have to go back to the Word of God and see what the Word of God says about how we ought to live. No longer can we look at the schools, and no longer can we look at the media, and no longer can we look at the world around us and look for examples of how to live. But brothers and sisters, if there's ever been a day when we have to go back to the book and say, what does God say about the situation what does God say about the kind of person that I need to be it's this day it's this hour character wins every time character is what pleases God character is what makes you a better worshiper the psalm says in verse 2 It asks the two questions at the beginning, then it starts to answer I love it when the word of God asks a question and then gives me the answer amen Verse 2 says, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. We should be honest. We should be truthful in the way that we deal with one another. My righteousness is not based on my own works, but on my relationship with God. I can only live as honestly as my relationship with God will permit me. And if I have, let me say it another way, if my walk doesn't match my talk, then I'm not going to make it. It's not about the talk. It's about the walk. That's why the verb in this verse, verse 2, he who walks. It doesn't say he who talks. It says he who walks. It's about the walk. It's about professing something and then living it out in real life. That's what righteousness looks like. That's what character looks like. Integrity is what you do when nobody else is looking. And that's what's worked out here in this psalm. The psalm says you have to be truthful. You have to be honest. You can't be two-sided. You can't be hypocritical. It doesn't mean that you have to air out all your dirty laundry and everyone has to know every fault that you make. But it does mean you have to make a good faith effort that whatever my profession is, I'm going to have a walk that matches it. 
It's still important in 2024. It isn't just what we profess to be. It's what we do with our actions that matters before God. What do we say? What's our old proverb? Talk is cheap. We live in the show me state. Show me. Believers are supposed to clothe ourselves in good conduct. The book of Revelation says so in Revelation chapter 19 verse 8. It says, and to her, the bride, the church, was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That's what we're going to be clothed in. When we get to the other side and we're in eternity, we're literally going to, our, clo- our, our covering is going to be what we do in life and how we live, the righteous acts of the saints. Not, not our level of understanding, not how parsed out we have our doctrine. I believe all that's important. If you know me, I, you know I believe all that's important. But brothers and sisters, when the book ends and the chapter closes and all the dust settles and everything's done, it's the righteous acts of the saints that's going to distinguish them from everything that God has to judge in the end. It says we need to speak the truth in our heart. We need to hold on to what is reliable and dependable. I want to stop here and, and say this is, this is not what the world would say that you need to have a, your own truth and you need to speak that. When the Bible says truth, it's saying you need to lay hold of what is reliable, what is dependable, what is true, what is proven. Is there anything more true and more reliable and proven than the word of God? We need to put God's word in our heart. And then the Bible says when we have put what is true in our hearts, we can speak the truth from our hearts. Heart is not referring to the seat of your emotions. When I say heart, I'm not talking about, I know they've got all the Valentine stuff out of the store now. There's hearts everywhere. I'm not talking about the emotions. When the Bible talks about heart here, it's talking about your will. You understand the difference? Your will, your determination, your motivation. We need to put God's word in contact with that part of us. Because if you're finding it hard to live for God, if you're thinking, boy, I don't know if this sounds like a high standard. I don't think I could ever get there. Maybe you've been living for God, and maybe you're discouraged this morning. Maybe you came in, you're like, boy, I've messed up. I've had a bad week. I don't think I can do this anymore. You want me to tell you what will help you? If you start putting the truth of God's word in that place in your life that determines your motivations and your drive, things will start to change. Things will start to change. You'll start to get the victory over some things. Things that you've been having to deal with for a long time, you can start to get the victory over. When good people worship, when good people worship, pleases God. Verse 3 says, he who doesn't backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a a reproach against his friend. Backbiting is slander. Slander in the Old Testament, especially in the New Testament, the word that's used for slander is very, very closely related to the word Satan. Slander is demonic. Gossip and slander is satanic in nature. Unintentional slander is bad. 
But intentional slander is even worse. No good person that wants to offer acceptable worship to God will knowingly engage in slander. It says, don't do evil to your neighbor. The righteous person that's being described in this psalm, they don't intentionally do bad things or cause pain or misery on anybody. Sometimes a friend will have to offer a tough criticism with somebody. Sometimes a friend will have to say painful words to another friend. But the Bible says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'm not talking about something that has a noble end. I'm not talking about something that has uh, righteous motivations. I'm talking about you're going to inflict pain just for the sake of inflicting pain. That's That's not pleasing to God. That's not pleasing to God. We shouldn't do it with our words. We shouldn't do it with our actions. We shouldn't do it with any part of our life. The righteous person, the person that is pleasing to God, that is able to dwell with God here and in eternity, has the good of other people in mind. They're going to be considerate of other people and not just run off at the mouth or do things action-wise that's going to hurt people. It says you don't take up a reproach against a friend. A reproach is a cutting, it's, it's, it's a cutting taunt, it's scorn, it's sharp criticism against somebody. It's a personal attack on somebody. And it's easy to scorn somebody when things aren't going well for them. Let me say it another way. It's easy to kick somebody when they're down. It's easy to take a cheap shot at somebody when they've made a mistake and they aren't doing right. It's easy to talk bad about them. But the word of God says that's not the moment to scorn them and to take up a reproach against them. But it's time to let your words be used for life because the word of God and God is not pleased with somebody who takes up a reproach against his friend. It will make you, it'll block your worship. It'll block your worship. I'm thinking now of Ephesians chapter 5 when God is talking about husbands and wives and he tells husbands to treat your wives right so that your prayers may not be hindered. Sometimes we, we disconnect those two things and we think my prayer life isn't related to my, my what I do out here with my time and my words life. But the word of God connects the two and says if you're taking up a reproach against your friend, if you're treating the people in your life poorly, it's going to hinder your prayers. And if you feel like you're up against a wall today, it might just be that the preacher's here to just do what this psalm would do as they would march up to Mount Zion and they would go there to worship. It would start to check and take inventory in everybody's heart. And by the time they got to the house of the Lord, they were ready to repent repent and say, Lord, I confess, I'm not right, I'm not perfect, my righteousness isn't good enough, but Lord, I need your righteousness to cover me so that I can offer acceptable worship to you. I want to worship, I want to be a good person, and I want to be in your presence. The Apostle James reminds us in the New Testament that we ought to have control over our tongues and that blessing and cursing should not proceed out of the same mouth. Verse 4 goes on and says, In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he who honors, he honors those who fear the Lord. Those two seem like they're two things, but I, I would package them together instead of saying they're two separate. I think they're two that make whole one. You're able to discern between right and wrong. There's many people in the world today that are pointing at things that are wrong and calling them right. There's many voices in our world today that are pointing at things that are right and they're calling them wrong. 
And the people of God today more than any other time that I've been alive must be able to distinguish between what is vile and wicked and evil and what is good and righteous and pleasing to God. We have to have a line drawn in our line. And brother, we don't need to be confused about what pleases God. All you have to do is get in the book. All you have to do is fellowship with people that are going the same direction as you. And you're not going to have a problem distinguishing between that which is vile and that which is righteous. It's going to be apparent to you. But when you don't put God's word in your heart, and you don't fellowship with brothers and sisters of like precious faith like you should, it's easy for the lines to become blurred. You can start out in one place, take a few months, and all of a sudden you believe some things that you never thought you'd believe. All of a sudden you tolerate some things that you never thought you'd tolerate. All of a sudden you're laughing at some jokes that you never would have thought were funny. Because the lines have dropped out of place and become blurred. I'm talking about the kind of attitude that out in public it says, that's sin, but in private you're laughing at it. In private you're allowing it into your home. Our public life and our private life have to match up. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about when good people worship. God is looking for good people. And I know that we can't check every box perfectly every single time. But brothers and sisters, we have to be striving. We have to be endeavoring to follow Jesus with everything that we have. We can't put him in a compartment and say, that's God's our area of my life. But all the rest of it belongs to me. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. What's that mean? That kind of sound, that's New King James and that's kind of, If I could just put it in our vernacular this morning, it means that you keep your word even when it hurts. Have you ever ever said something and committed to something, and then the circumstances change, and you're like, oh, man. Oh, I wish I hadn't committed to that. Right? We've all been there. You've probably been there in a kind of low stakes, lighthearted moment. You may have had that in a high stakes moment pretty painful moment where it was really going to cost you something to keep your word God's word says it's important that that's the kind of people that we are that we keep our word even when it's not convenient it's why the New Testament in in Matthew it, it tells us that it advises us that it's better just not to swear an oath it's better to not swear an oath and make a promise than to make a promise and not keep it good person keeps their word And when you do that, when you live that way, when you live with that standard intact, makes you a better worshiper. He who does not put out his money at usury or interest. You think, wow, we've gotten this far, and now we're going to talk about money. But what we do with our finances make us a better worshiper. The verse is about interest. It's about the law teaches, in, in the law of Moses, the law basically teaches that We are not to trade on other people's misfortune. When somebody's in a tough spot, when somebody's down and out, that's not the time to exploit them. And people that live with that kind of behavior, that's not godliness. And God's people are called to a higher standard. It says, literally, that when you charge at an interest, the word means with a bite. He said, I'll help you, but 
We all know what interest is. Maybe it's not interest. Maybe it's just strings attached. God's word calls us to a higher standards, brothers and sisters. The last thing he says, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. This is about, this is about having a personal sense of justice. It goes back to the right and the wrong. We need to have a very clearly worked out sense of right and wrong and justice. You need to have a personal sense of right and wrong, and you need to be unwilling to compromise on it. I just got done with a week-long study in the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. And one of the themes in those epistles, the words that keep coming up, if you open your Bible, you'll see it, and you can highlight it. It comes up over and over and over and over again, and it had never been called to my attention until this week, is the word conscience. And when God sets things in order, at the center, the bullseye of God's order in the world, it's not the church, it's not even the home, it's the personal conscience. It's a person's personal sense of right and wrong. God gives you that. That's not a secular concept. That's in the word. God gave you a sense of right and wrong. We all know it. We don't like to admit it all the time because it's the thing that stands as an indictment against us. We all know what that feeling's like when you're doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing. You may not have book, chapter, and verse for it, but you know what's wrong. I know it's quiet right now because I'm, I'm the same way. I know when it's right and I know when it's wrong. I know when that feeling is. And you know what? I've overrode that feeling before. And on the other side, it feels worse. The word of God says, I'm not going to take a bribe against the innocent. I'm, I know some things are wrong and I know some things are right. And I know which side of the line I'm going to stay on. I'm going to follow that and I'm going to be a person that's a good worshiper and a good person. God's looking for people who are completely righteous to worship him. But the problem this morning is, as we've just stepped through nine or ten of these criteria, the problem is, at least it's for me, that none of us are able to meet this standard. These are simple things. I haven't preached anything that was revelatory. I probably haven't preached anything to you that you didn't already know of how you ought to live and how a good person behaves themselves and conducts themselves. But even though it's very simple and elementary things, foundational things, none of us are able to hit the mark every time. It reminds me of a story in John chapter 4 of a real person, a real person. We've been talking about good people. I want to be a good person. Sister Mona, I'm a real person. Any other, any other real people here today? Psalm 15 points us beyond ourselves and is supposed to point us to the only one who is qualified to enter God's presence. There's only one person who's ever checked all the boxes. There's only one person who's ever lived perfectly. And as David wrote the words of Psalm 15, and as those pilgrims, they would sing it back and forth to one another as they went up to worship, what they were really singing about was a man named Jesus Christ. Jesus one time had to go through Samaria. John chapter 4 tells the story of what happened. He met a woman there at a well. He started to talk to her about living water. And as they talked about living water, and it became apparent to this lady that we're not just talking about ordinary everyday life, but we're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about the things that matter the most. She really wanted to know more. And Jesus said, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, 
I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you've well said that you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the husband you now have is not your husband. If you took a look at the facts of this lady's life, and I wouldn't dare for a second be ugly and judgmental about it, but if you just look at this lady's life on the basis of the facts that are presented to us, I don't think any of us would label her as a good person. She had some mess going on in her life. She had some things that she was probably ashamed of in her life. She had some things that she didn't want anybody else to know about. She was a real person. The musicians would come. If you look at her present, the moment that she's standing at the well with Jesus, her past wasn't very pretty. And if you look at her in the present tense, her present tense is pretty messed up too. Probably not what you would call a good person. But listen to how the conversation goes from there. After everything's been exposed and she knows that Jesus knows who she really is. The conversation goes like this, and I'm going to read it in a paraphrased translation. She said, oh, so you're a prophet. She said, well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshipped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Jesus said, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans are going to worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there at Jerusalem. You worship like you're guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. And God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. In fact, Jesus said the time has come. When what you're called will not matter. And where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people that the Father is looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before Him in their worship. Those who worship Him must do it out of their very being, their spirit, and in their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming. And when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. Jesus said, I'm he. You don't have to wait any longer. And you don't have to look any further. I'm here to preach to you today simply this. That the perfectly righteous person is here today. It's not any of us. But his name is Jesus Christ. And he showed up to that woman at the well. She was a real person. She was a real person. I believe she wanted to be a worshiper. But there was only one way she could be made a good person. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We serve a good, good God. Stand with me all over this room. The very last line of this psalm says, He who does these things will never be moved. Can I tell somebody this morning that everything you need 
to live for God and be successful living for God and to thrive in your relationship with God, it's in Jesus Christ. When I'm following in Jesus' footsteps, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to be a righteous person. Jesus, I can't do it without you. I can't be good on my own no matter how hard I try. Nobody can strut into the kingdom. They would sing this song in the gates, Brother Walker. Who's going to dwell in the hill of the Lord? Who's going to dwell in it? Who's going to go up into his presence? They would sing it at the gates of the city. And by the time they crossed the threshold of that gate into that place of worship, no, it wasn't a single person that was able to strut in. Everybody had to come in and say, oh God, the only way that I can be pleasing to you is to let your righteousness cover me and be my righteousness. Can we lift up our hands all over this place right now? Can we press into the presence of the holy God right now? These altars are open right now, and in a presence where there's worshipers and there's worship that's happening, there's miraculous things that can happen. And can we create an atmosphere like that right now? Because there's miracles.